This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We are back today here with your hosts, Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Yep, we are here for another installment of Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Yes, super excited. We've been uh, talking about the reliability of the New Testament, and today we're going to be digging into canonicity and how we can understand that the Bible canon was created and why we can trust it. That's been the goal of this series, and so this episode we're going to be focusing on why the books that are in the Bible are in the Bible. Yep, absolutely. And again, and because we're Christ Culture and Coffee, I'm hoping there's new people listening. And so we right. always want to tell you, we start every episode off with a coffee tip. And so today's coffee tip comes to you courtesy of a situation that happened uh, with me and Tyler. So I get a text from Tyler this week with a picture. And I'm going to be quite honest with you guys. It scared me. <laughs> I think it, it almost scarred me. Even it was so grotesque. No, the kids saw it, right? No, no, no. no I would. Ne- I'd never let my kids see this kind of a picture. But it was so frightening. And I'll tell you exactly what happened. So he sends me a text, and and at first it says, "I found something worse than Folgers," and my heart sank. And I said, "Oh no, there, it can't be. There's nothing worse than that in the coffee world." And then he sends me a picture of a pallet of decaf Folgers yes. from Costco. Actually, it was Sam's Club. Oh, Sam's Club. Well, there it is. Just, Costco yeah. probably has it too, though, I bet. I hope not. I, I hope mean, they're yeah, a little bit better. Goodness. Come on, Sam's Club. Step up your game. But I'm like, why does this exist? It shouldn't. It yeah. shouldn't exist. People who like coffee don't like that. It was it was horrendous and grotesque, and um, I the deleted thing, it from my phone. Yeah. It's so frightening, man. The only thing I'm thinking this might be good for is like uh, that tip that we got a while back about, uh, you know, uh, like soil for your yeah. plants. There you go. Nope. Just don't even brew it. Just dump it. In. You know, it might nope. kill your plants. Actually. Yeah, don't even do it. No, nope. I, I think the best I thing just that, burn it. that co- those coffee cans are for is target practice. Like that, <laughs> And that's it. That's probably it. So, so I wanted to share with you uh, uh, a little bit about the decaffeinating process uh, that's called the Swiss water process. So this is really interesting. Uh, there's a few different ways that they can decaffeinate coffee beans. Mm. Uh, and some of them use chemicals and that's not really good for us. This method, the Swiss water method, was developed to be a completely chemical-free, healthy way to decaffeinate coffee beans. And it is really interesting how they do it, all right? So what they do to decaffeinate these beans is they get a whole bunch of green coffee beans, they put them in a huge tank with a lot of hot water, and they heat Mm. it up, and they leave the beans in there for like uh, a few hours. Now, what happens is they literally start brewing. Again, they're green coffee beans, so it's before they're roasted or anything. But so they start brewing, and what happens is that um, the flavor, the oils, and the caffeine in the beans starts leaching out into the water. All right? Mm. It It starts to suck out that stuff. So they suck all of the flavor, all of the oils, and and the caffeine out of the bean into the water. Then they take the water and they pass it through a special carbon filter. This is so scientific. But it's a special carbon filter that was designed specifically to only capture caffeine molecules. Is that wow. crazy? I never heard of that. That's I, nuts. It's pretty insane. So the wow. flavor and the oils yeah. get through, but okay. it traps the caffeine. Wow. In this carbon filter. That's really interesting. It's fa- it is yeah. fascinating. So once they collect all of the caffeine from this um, hot water stuff, 
Uh, then they uh, do something interesting. So what, wow. what you have at this point is you have uh, hot water flavored coffee that has the flavor and the oils of the coffee in it, but no caffeine. And then you have beans that mm. are flavorless and caffeineless and worthless. Yeah. So they take those beans and they just throw them away because they don't have any use. Yeah, that's right. And then what they do is they get brand new green coffee beans and they dump those into the liquid, the hot water mm. that already has the flavor and it already has the oils from the old beans in it. Okay. So they call this GCE for short or green coffee extract. That's what the the water's called. All right. right? Okay. So okay. they dump new beans into it and at this point the coffee beans uh, then begin this process of osmosis and this is where it's really important uh, to have pre-flavored and oiled water because what happens is with the new beans that you put in um, the the oil and the flavor and the caffeine begins to get extracted just like in the old one Right. Except yeah. because there's a balance between the oils and the flavor because it's already in the water um, the bean actually retains oil and flavor, wow, but the caffeine okay. gets sucked out. Yeah, that's, that's Isn't that interesting? Nuts. Just from this soaking process. Yeah, so by doing that, well, that sounds like it uses a lot of coffee, though, to take that up. Well, that's yeah. the thing about it. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's expensive to get Swiss water method decaffeinated coffee because really you have to pay for two times the amount of beans. Yeah. Because yeah. they're throwing away half of them. So it's a really good method that uses zero chemicals to mm. decaffeinate coffee, um, but it is a little bit pricey. Wow, but it's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to know who thought that up, right? I know it's, it that's, says Swiss that's like water really process. Really scientific, so, so it yeah. seems like there was quite a process that went into making this. Yeah, so. well, probably a lot of trial and error too. But that's your coffee tip for today yeah. on how you can chemically free decaffeinate coffee. That was pretty fascinating. I yeah, like it. It's kind of cool. But cool. don't buy Folgers decaf. No, like, no, no. If you're no, going to no, get no. decaf, get something of quality, <laughs> not co not pencil shavings, right? The like thing is. You even said it yourself too. Like they they pre ground it. They don't even have I it. Know. Like, that's it's the thing that's ridiculous. Man. I don't even know if it's coffee to be honest. No, I don't know what that's probably not. Is, so. so you anyway. know, it's like it's like that black ivory coffee. You know, where the elephant swallows the, and you pull it out. Except <laughs> yeah. it's not the bean. It's what's left. It's in not there. even yeah. the bean. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just what's stuff. left around the bean. <laughs> I agree so, with that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> On to the content for today. So we're going to talk a lot about canonicity, right? Canonicity. Yes. And yeah. this is very important when we're understanding scripture and how everything came together. So I'm going to read the definition of canon. And so the definition is uh, literally means, of canon literally means standard or rule. Uh, the term is most closely associated with the collection of books that are, the church has recognized as the written word of God, scripture, mm -hmm. and that functions as the rule or standard of faith and practice in the church. Yeah. Now, so it's not like a canon, like a pirate. No, canon. yeah, yeah. No, it's, a, it's, it's not the like rule that. Rule or it's, the standard. Yeah, yeah. It's a standard. It's what is accepted as scripture. It's like what do we hold to as true? Word of God. Yep, and it's the it's like it's almost it's that's not what the word means, but it's almost like a um, like a, a measuring stick, a ruler. Like, yeah, yeah. Like we measure our lives against this standard. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's and kind of the, the you idea see this too. It. This isn't just with scripture. Even like people in culture use the word canon as like a way to measure sure. things. Like sure. it's kind of become a nerdy thing. Even in like Star Wars, they considered like when they found out at the new movies that Rey was Emperor Palpatine's daughter, they were like, okay, that's it's canon now that she is his daughter. Like that's mm -hmm. the way that they use it in pop culture terms. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's kind of the way, the idea of it. You're measuring something to a standard of what is accepted as the norm. Yep. So uh, the, uh, the criteria of the New Testament canonicity is yeah. what we're going to focus on today. Well, and this is, this is interesting because yeah. so Christianity, and I've read a lot of guys on this, because Christianity is odd in the sense that they already had a holy book yeah. when they started. That's because right. they they believed that the Old Testament was inspired by God and canon. Yeah, that's true. And so what we're talking about is that how did they decide what was to be added to the Jewish scriptures? Right. You you don't see that very often no, in any religions. No, not usually. Where they where they add on a complete new set of texts like yep. the way that Christianity has. So it's very interesting. Yep. Uh, so we're going to be talking about apostolic authority. That's one of the first criteria of canon that I want to address. Uh, the writings of the New Testament had to be written by an apostle or an associate of an apostle. Mm -hmm. That's that's the idea of apostolic authority. And it makes sense because you want it coming from the source of someone who lived through these events. Yeah, and if you think about it, like, uh, so the Old Testament, right? And again, right? This, yeah. this is on New Testament, but the Old Testament was written by prophets. Yeah, right? that's right. And they were valid prophets of God because of what they said and the God's hand was upon them and the things they said came true. So now we have a new standard of, okay, wh wh who are the you know prophets, right? Mm. Um, and it was the apostles. They were given authority by Jesus and he told them that I'm going to send the helper and he's going to bring to remembrance all of the things that were done, right? Right. And then you even see them, like Peter calls uh, Paul's writing scripture. Because yeah, he says, yeah. I know that some of what Paul writes is tough to understand, understand like uh, a lot of scripture is. And then, and then you have so you have people calling it. Paul calls Luke's uh, scripture. So it's very interesting to see um, that they believed they were writing something new in scripture. But it makes sense that we we can't just be like, well, anybody can do it. Like, oh yeah, so I can just take up a pen right now and write scripture. Right. And so the standard <laughs> of the early church, like you said, was apostolic authority. Exactly. Yeah. And now for something to be accepted as apostolic, right? As having apostolic authority. Uh, like we said, the book for it to be considered canon had to be written during the time in which the, the apostles live, which that's considered what's called antiquity. Mm -hmm. And then it must teach the doctrines the apostles taught, which is orthodoxy, original mm -hmm. doctrine. And now the, the whole focus is on the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's the idea of apostolic authority. Those who were there during the time and who were around Jesus and mm -hmm. who wrote about it and who passed on these orthodox original beliefs. Yeah, so it's not even just the 12 disciples, right? Because we consider Paul right, right. an apostle. Yeah, he's an apostle. Yeah, and so and, and then even Jesus' brother James we That's consider right. an apostle, yeah. even though he wasn't a disciple. Um, but they had to see the resurrected Jesus. Yes, yes. That, that's key. So um, I, I think it's interesting. So if, if apostolic authority, like you said, is like the biggest thing, then antiquity and orthodoxy are kind of like sub points to that. They really are. You can't yeah. say, oh, this has apostolic authority and it was written in, you know, 1000 A.D., no, because uh, none of the apostles were alive. They all right. died, right? So so that's what we mean by antiquity, right? They had to be written by an apostle or an associate of an apostle, and they had to be from that age. So um, I think that that, uh, 
that's big, right? So, oh, yeah. So these, and we're going to talk about some of the Gnostic Gospels and these other writings that, that came up, but they were all well into the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century, some of them right. even into the medieval times. And so they could not have been written by an apostle. Therefore, they cannot be canon. Yeah. Right? So that's very important, the idea of antiquity, that they are from the time, from the 1st century, during the time the apostles were Yeah, born. exactly. And yeah. so that's a very good point, Robbie. And then the other sub-point that we were talking about is orthodoxy. And now mm. uh, the books, uh, orthodoxy being original, they had to be doctrinally in line with what the apostles originally claimed and believed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was kind of a unanimous thing, like it had to be original. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the early Christian churches were very clear on this, that they were built up on the apostolic teaching. And that, I mean, these passages that they added into the canon. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you can see, like, that's where the criteria is coming to play. And uh, so when the extra gospels or other acts started floating around, they're looking at it. And the main question was asked, what do these books teach about the person mm-hmm. and work of Christ? Yeah. Uh, do they maintain the apostolic witness to Jesus being the historic Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, raised from the dead, and divinely exhorted as Lord over all? Mm-hmm. And, like, was that the original teaching of them? And that was a huge criteria. Yeah. Yeah. It, that it's, was, it's pretty big because, mm-hmm. like— and again, some people say, oh, the church just kind of willy-nilly picked what they liked. That's not true, because right. these churches were established by the apostles. Yes. The church in Jerusalem mm-hmm. was sending out the mission, uh, the missionaries, right, and the mission effort to go to the world and fulfill the Great Commission. And so we see this in, in Acts 15 with James and, and Peter giving Barnabas and Paul the right hand of fellowship and sending them out to go take the gospel to the world. And so um, it's not like the churches didn't have doctrine already yeah they already did right right? paul even was writing letters to them instructing them and he was going there teaching them and the church of jerusalem was being taught by peter and was being taught by james and then peter eventually goes to rome and he's part of the church there so it's not like they didn't have doctrine um so it's they weren't waiting till the new testament was written before they had doctrine they had doctrine because the apostles had already been teaching it so it was very easy a new book or a new letter pops up on the scene and you read it and you go, yeah, that's not what Peter taught. Mm-hmm. That's not what Paul taught. It's not like, oh, now we know. It's like, no, we already know because we heard it from the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Yes. And yes. that's the standard we're measuring these other books against, right? So that's that's very important. And when there were other books that, that came out that were wrong, yeah. uh, we have examples of church fathers going, no, 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 like that's not <laughs> yeah. right. Like right. Serapion in the late second and early third century, this actually happened. Uh, he found out that there was this Gospel of Peter, which is a Gnostic gospel, and he found out that it was being read at the Church of Rosas. So at first, uh, he, he didn't really care too much. He wasn't disturbed by it. But then he found out that the Gospel of Peter actually was teaching this heretical idea called docetism. And it's this idea that Jesus didn't really have mm-hmm. a physical body. He just appeared to have a physical body because it's a Gnostic idea that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, which isn't true. And it's right. not biblical. Yeah. God created the physical world. But that's what the Gnostics believed. So um, it really demeans Jesus suffering on the cross if he doesn't have a physical body. Yeah, right? how could you? <laughs> suffer if it's just your spirit right just it's appears like, like yeah, yeah it's one. like yeah. okay it's a hologram or whatever because so, yeah yeah because so that's any, the point it's driven like in scripture you see it's a lot of the attention is on the physical suffering that jesus yeah. went through and so no, all that kind of becomes meaningless if you're hearing it just like yeah oh you're just there in spirit it's yeah, like dos- ah. docetism's whack it's, right it's, right, it's yeah. 
wrong. So anyway, uh, Serapion hears that this was being taught. So he goes to the church in Rosas um, because he wanted to make sure they weren't believing in heresy. He wanted to make sure they were understanding orthodoxy. Yeah. So once he found out that this Gnostic gospel was teaching crap, yeah. he went and was like, no, 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 no. I want to make sure you guys aren't believing in that stuff. So we need apostolic authority. We need antiquity. So it has to be from the time of the apostles or it wasn't written by the mm-hmm. apostles. And it also has to be orthodox. And then Tyler, you've got kind of the fourth point yeah. on, on ca- canonicity. Yeah, something that's huge about it too. It has to be within the ter- the line of Catholicity. Catholicity. Yeah. And now that, that comes from the root word Catholic. And we've talked about this on the podcast before when we did our series on Catholicism too. Mm-hmm. But uh, Catholic just means universal. Yep. So we're not when we say Catholic or Catholicity, here. We're not talking about it fits with the Roman Catholic Church. We're no. saying it's universal church, uh, meaning that the books are widespread accepted by all the churches. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a huge criteria when it came to the canon of scripture. Um, there was widespread recognition of the books in the New Testament by the apostles and by the other churches. Yeah. Um, it corresponded with what the apostles had taught the churches, and it kind of it just fit into line with universal teaching. Yep. So that's where that criteria came into play. When you would read through these books that they counted as canon of scripture, they were universally already being accepted and taught by the church at large. Yeah, and it's because they were written by the apostles who yes. were the ones witnessing to Jesus. Yes, so, so that's the thing. It has to fit. So after, even after it passes the criteria for, um, for being apostolic, mm-hmm. It still has to be universally agreed upon by the church at mm-hmm. large that yes, this fits in with the biblical text. Now, there's interesting examples, and again, y- y- we could spend months talking oh, about sure. all this stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But there are some books that were written early in the first century, right? Like the Didache, right? Um, but it wasn't written by an apostle. But it's early, and it's not heterodox. It's pretty orthodox. And yet it still wasn't accepted by the church as canon because it wasn't written by an apostle. Then we have stuff that um, was written by associates of an apostle. Like First First Clement was written by a guy that John, the apostle, was friends with and discipled. (laughs) So that would be similar to like Paul uh, discipling Luke. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he wrote letters to churches uh, like First Clement, and we don't accept that. That wasn't accepted by all the churches universally, even though he was an associate of an apostle, and he doesn't say anything unorthodox in it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So all of these criteria had to be met, and they had to be universally accepted by the church. So we have examples mm-hmm. of like one criteria not being met, and it's not accepted. Yeah, because all three needed to be accepted. So and, it's well, very and that's good, though. It should be that way. It that's is. something we really need to make clear here. It's yep. good that the early church fathers were on top of canonicity, and they held to this high standard of what should be Scripture. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So um, now let's move into talking about how and when was the New Testament canonized, right? So everybody and their mom believes the <laughs> myth that it was at the Council of Nicaea when that dirtbag Constantine decided what he liked and he threw out all this other scripture. Completely false. Yeah, there's no evidence for that happening. There's evidence whatsoever. against it happening. There is, right? yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about. Like, yeah. and, and the Council of Nicaea, just to be clear, the Council of Nicaea decided about Jesus being deity. Mm-hmm. Um, they even talked about should we make it universal that um, 
that uh, pastors or the, the the clergy should be celibate. Right. And then there was like disputes about that. So they didn't even decide on that. Uh, but they did not talk about, they did not decide what books should be canon. No. Right. And we're going to go through stuff that happened prior to the Council of Nicaea and then stuff that happened after the Council of Nicaea about canon. All right. right. Yeah. So the first place you want to start is with a heretic named Marcion. Marcion. You should look up his story and read it. He was from uh, the area around the Black Sea. His dad was a pastor. He really grew to love the Apostle Paul, right? So he, they had already mm-hmm. accepted Paul's writings as scripture. Marcion yeah. was born about 100 AD. So, so he could have been alive yeah. at the same time that the Apostle John was alive. So this is super early on, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, he starts getting these weird ideas, and then eventually he moves to Rome because he thinks, I'm going to influence the big city and the church there. Um, they don't accept his teachings at all. They think he's a heretic, and actually he is cast out as a heretic in 144 AD. He's excommunicated from the church. Right. So what he was teaching was Gnosticism. He was teaching that the Old Testament God is a different God from the New Testament, and that the God who made the material world's lesser because material world's bad, spiritual's good. Mm -hmm. And anyway— Why he's important for canonicity is because Marcion, the heretic, developed the first list of what he thought should be the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy, like you're looking at this, like not just, uh, I mean, he's the one who composed it and like wrote it down and everything, but heretics were popping up all over the place. Sure. And And the church was combating it with, no, that's not what the apostles taught. That's not what they wrote. Yeah, and they they had to address it at this time. Otherwise, it was going to get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, in Marcion's list, he has one gospel. And he just he doesn't even call it Luke's gospel, but that's what it is. It's like a weird form of Luke's gospel, and it might be uh, Luke's um, exact. And he changed a lot of it, or it might be a different form of it. But it's basically Luke's gospel, but he just calls it the gospel. And then he has another thing that he just calls the apostle, which consisted of all of Paul's letters, except First, Second Timothy, and Titus. Uh, those are called the pastoral epistles, and so he didn't have those in his list. Mm. So he had the other letters of Paul and the gospel of Luke. Uh, he changed and erased and and fixed a whole bunch of different texts so it would fit his theology because obviously Paul's letters wouldn't fit with this mm. theology. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and like I said, he got excommunicated. So we know about Marcion and his list and his heresies because Justin Martyr writes against him, Irenaeus writes against him, Tertullian writes mm-hmm. against him. This was a big heretic. But this heresy led the church to decide on what books were needed. They began to think about, okay, what do we consider scripture? Because we can't just let anybody say this is, that isn't. We should start to kind of formulate yeah, right. where we're at. So that is Marcion and his list. Yes, yeah. right. And so uh, something else that we have about this to confirm, uh, th- this is this is just huge. We have what is called the, Mur- I'm, 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 I might say this incorrectly, the Muratorian fragment. Yeah, Muratorian. Muratorian, yeah, yep. yep. Muratorian fragment. And now this comes from about 170 to 190 AD. So early on. Very early on. A hundred and some years before the Council of Nicaea. That's right. Oh, there it wow. is. What oh, do you know? Wow, crazy. <laughs> That's a great point, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Deny those people again. There we go. <laughs> and yep. so this, what this is, it is a Latin list of the New Testament books, mm-hmm. right? And so this is what was considered canon. That's the idea here. Uh, it is 
um, mutilated at the beginning, though, so we are missing part of what it originally said. However, it gives us an idea of what was there originally. Yeah, and it's a really mm -hmm. long fragment. You should look it up, and you should read what it yes, says, the Muratorian yes. fragment. It's fascinating um, because it goes through what is considered Scripture. But it also says a few interesting things in it. So we're not going to read all of it at all, but um, I wanted to read a part of it. So this is really interesting. Um, it says in the Muratorian fragment, there is current also an epistle to the Laodiceans and another to the Alexandrians, both forged in Paul's name to further, uh, uh, to further the heresy of Marcion mm. and several others which cannot be received into the Catholic Church, for it's not fitting that gall be mixed with honey. So think about what this is saying. It's from 170 to 190, and he's saying, listen, we even know of other letters that were forged. They weren't from Paul. We never considered them from Paul. Right. We know where they came from. It's from Marcion's group, and they forged them, and they said, oh, these are from Paul too, to try to push their weird cult and yeah. their weird um, unorthodox views. And the, the Muratorian fragment mentions that and says, listen, we, we even know about fake letters yeah. like fake news yeah. was happening back then isn't that's that right. interesting that's, right. that's what's and, going on here and so yeah. th that's why you could see like this is really important that we discovered this in the terms of canonicity yeah so so the muratorian mm -hmm. fragment has and mentions a lot of what we have in the new testament but it also mentions yes. uh and these books nobody considers them good they're yeah heretical yeah. they're not written by an apostle did you notice that they're forged which means they're not apostolic mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to read another uh, quote out of this fragment where it yeah. talks about some of the books that they considered scripture. It's, they say here, We receive only the apocalypses of John and Peter, though some of us are not willing that the latter be read in church. Okay, and so what is the apocalypse? The apocalypse is Revelation. Yeah, the apocalypse yeah. of John is Revelation, mm -hmm. right? And then he says the apocalypse of Peter, and he says, but some people don't think that it's legit. Right. That, so that's very interesting. Like, it is interesting. They say, and I like how he says some of us are not willing. Yeah. So he's like, I don't think it's legit. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's great. And so they're, but, they're clarifying these things. But now again, Tyler. Yeah. He's not saying that the, the gospel of Peter is heresy. No. Or not the gospel. He just Sorry, says it should. Apocalypse. Right, right, right. He just doesn't think it is written by an apostle. Yes. But he doesn't say what it teaches. He's saying this should not be spoken of or read in church. We should not be teaching this as doctrine. Because it's That's not on par with that. But so it's, it, it is interesting that falls into the category of it's not unorthodox, no. but it's not apostolic. Right. Yep. Interesting. That, that's so important to note. Yep. So, excuse me, reading on, it says, but Hermaeus wrote the shepherd very recently in our times in the city of Rome, while Bishop Pius and his brother was uh, occupying the, the chair of the church of the city of Rome. And therefore, it ought indeed to be read, but it cannot be read publicly to the people in the church, either among the prophets, whose number is complete, or among the apostles, for it is after their time. And uh, I want to just quickly add, I do really like how at the end of this he says, uh, among the prophets whose number is complete, meaning no more prophets. Yeah, the prophets are done. The yeah, Old and Testament also saying done. Apostles, for it is after their time. Their time is done. Yeah. So, so I, I like that he clarifies that too. Yeah, That's so his, his, he's qualifying that the shepherd of Hermas cannot be considered the Bible. Yeah. Why? 
because it was written after the time of the apostles. And he's he tells not a prophet, you it and he's written. not an apostle. Yeah. That's so what he's it saying. Can't he's like, be, no. It can't be read. And mm-hmm. I like how he says it ought to be read. It's good. Of course, yeah. It'd be like us saying, like, hey, the purpose-driven life, like, you can read it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Wild at heart, you can read it, right? What are yeah. some What are some more current books? I'm going back to stuff from oh, like right. 20 yeah. years ago, Oh, uh, right? Gosh, like, I'm trying to think of something recent. Like, uh, That's really um, Timothy, big. Timothy Keller, yeah. he's yeah. got those. The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Yeah. It's good. It's not yeah, heretical, yeah. but it's not scripture. Yeah, when you read a devotional reflection, it, it can edify you and it can actually really draw you closer to the Holy Spirit and rebuild yeah. your relationship with Christ. But it should not be taken as scripture. The words yeah. of whoever wrote that devotional down, right? Yeah. Or the theological commentary. Like yeah. those those are not scripture. And the thing is, is these authors don't come out and say, yeah, like this is supposed to be scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the idea of what we're talking about here in this context is these people, uh, these passages that were, re- that were being read through this time, they were good. They were edifying for you spiritually. But everyone was saying, yeah, don't count this as scripture. Yeah, because obviously books are yeah. being written that aren't scripture. People write stuff of course, all the time. Of course. So they had a lot of books. And so I, I think some people don't think that. Like if it's old, it means they should put no. it in there. That's not true. There was no. criteria. There was a standard. These mm-hmm. these weren't idiots. They had reasons for why they knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Muratorian fragment is fascinating. In the Muratorian fragment, it mentions 21 of the 27 mm. books of the New Testament that we hold as scripture. It mentions 21 of them as being scripture back then between 170 and 190. Now, most scholars agree because the beginning of it, like Tyler said, is deteriorated and it's ripped yeah. off and we don't have the very beginning of it. But the, it mentions at the beginning of what we have Luke's gospel, which was the third gospel. Mm. So most people agree that, because he goes on to mention John, most people believe that he mentioned Matthew and Mark first. And we actually have a little of a last sentence about what he's talking about when he's referring to Mark's gospel. Right. So so uh, the Muratorian fragment definitely states clearly that 21 of the 27 books we have, but most agree that it's, it's alluding to the two other gospels. So that would be 23 of the 27 books that we have. What it doesn't mention as scripture are the book of Hebrews, the book of James, and the books of first and second Peter. So right. those are ones that it doesn't mention. Now it doesn't say that they're heretical. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't mention those books, all right? Mm-hmm. But from very early on, we have 23 of the 27 books kind of already formulating into canon. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's just so huge. All this criteria that we got, and mm-hmm. and this affirmation from this fragment, like it's yep. amazing well, how we can see. And in addition to all of these, these lists talking about what was considered scripture, you have the early church fathers who quote, course, yeah, New Testament writings as their scripture. Mm-hmm. And so that has to be, we're not even talking about that. No, we're not. Um, Because we want to just go, what were people saying was legit back then? Yeah, and that's great. So many, 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 many church fathers give lists of New Testament books. Yeah. This is huge. Um, Irenaeus in the second century, Hippolytus, he lived between 170 to 235, Novation and 250 AD, Tertullian, who lived 196 to 212, Cyprian from the mid-third century, Clement of Alexandria, late second and early third century origin um who was lived from 185 to 254 dionysus uh who lived in the mid third century all of them give us lists of we believe these are canon we believe these are scripture um so uh, again we don't have time to dissect everything and get into all of it but they were formulating figuring out uh what was apostolic 
what was orthodox, what was from antiquity, and then what did we all accept? Right, because and this that's a big yeah. undertaking. Like, okay, down in Ethiopia, up to Armenia, over to the Western Church in Rome, like in Carthage, Africa. Yeah. Like, what do we universally accept as a church? Because the Spirit of God was at work in His people as well during this process, and that's not the only criteria we have. Right, of but course. they wanted to all say yes, we accept these books as. Scripture, and so there are many, many lists, and many, many uh, church fathers talk about what was Scripture. Right, right. But and you then, want to talk about a specific dude who really yeah. helped us out here. Yeah, and this this is great. Uh, so this is historian Eusebius of Caesarea. Yeah, he great historian, great church historian. Yeah, yeah. Well, like we we get a lot from him, yep. and so the, um he was uh, writing around the early fourth century where we get this source. So, so early fourth century is. Early 300s. Yes, that is correct. Which means mm-hmm. pre-Council of Nicaea. Because <laughs> Council of Nicaea was in 325, right? So again, just... just I love it. Just yeah. saying, he was a contemporary with and yeah. possibly before... Okay, so there it is. Yeah, the, there's no excuse for anyone who claims that there's evidence that the canon of Scripture was changed or... No. All of those guys I mentioned wrote yeah. before the Council of Nicaea. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, anyways, that's anyway. great. So what's great about Eusebius of Caesarea, why this guy's a big deal for us with the canon of scripture is because he gives us a great insight from some quotes and writings into what was universally acknowledged mm-hmm. uh, like, and disputed of the New Testament books. Like He's very clear on this. And so I'm just going to read a quote from some of his writings where he talks about this. And these are the universally acknowledged yes. books. Yes. So Eusebius is saying everybody agrees these are scripture. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and so he says... In the first place should be placed the holy tetrad of the Gospels. So what's a tetrad? Uh-huh. Four. Tetrads oh, yeah, yeah, four. four, four. Mm-hmm. Triads, three. Tetrads, triad four. Is four. Triad so is three. Tetrads, four. Gospels. Gospels. Yes. Okay, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. And so he says, yeah, the four Gospels, these are followed by the writing of the Acts of the Apostles. After this should be reckoned the Epistle of Paul, Epistles of Paul, my apologies, Next after them should be recognized the so-called first epistle of John and likewise that of Peter. In addition to these must be placed should it also should it seem right John's apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So what's crazy is right there he's even affirming revelation. Yeah. Which you were seeing earlier like some people about the apocalyptic b- books they were like sketchy about like Peter, mm-hmm. right? But but John they're like no, like that should be included. John's apocalypse for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they were saying Peter's apocalypse cuz uh, again they don't think it was written by Peter. So. Yeah, right. And so uh, Eusebius elsewhere uh, numbers Paul's epistles at being at 14, which would include Hebrews, which that's yeah. interesting. That would include uh, the book of Hebrews. Now, again, we don't, ne- I don't think that Paul actually wrote Hebrews. No, I don't Most either. people don't believe that. Yeah. However, um, at the time, some people believed that he wrote it. And so Eusebius isn't writing right. scripture. He can be mistaken. Yeah. But yeah. It, it means that people were accepting the book of Hebrews as well. They were. And that's so, important to know. So those are the universally accepted books. Now, mm-hmm. you might have noticed there were some books that are in our New Testament that were missing from that list. That's right. So Eusebius yeah. continues and he talks about other books that there's dispute. There's disagreement on whether they should be scripture, they should be canon, or mm-hmm. they shouldn't be. All right. And this is what he says about that. To the books which are disputed, but recognized by the majority. Okay, so that's huge. He says most of the church universally accepts these, but there's some dispute on it. Right. 
And then he says, to the the disputed books, but recognized by the majority, belong the so-called epistle of James and that of Jude, the second epistle of Peter, and the so-called second and third epistles Mm. of John, whether these are by the evangelists or by someone else with the same name. So he's saying that's the issue. Now, the majority of the church at the time he wrote this in the early third century accepted them. But mm-hmm. he's saying some people dispute it because they're saying, were they actually written by the apostles? There's some dispute. We don't know. We don't know what was going on. Yes. So now, again, majority accepts them, but some people were still trying to make sure they were apostolic. Yeah, Which exactly. is awesome. That's, it, that's, that's a good great. thing. It's, because they're, it's a good thing because we need to make sure that what we're taking in as God's word is yep. authentic, yep. that it's accurate, and that we're testing it to a very high standard. Yep. Yeah. And then the other question is you'd have to ask why did some why did the majority accept them? Well, right. I mean if you were yeah. from the church in Jerusalem and James actually wrote the epistle of James, you'd know he wrote it. Oh, of course. So you'd accept yeah. it, but maybe the dudes over in Carthage Africa didn't. Mm. Maybe the people up yeah. in Armenia around the Black Sea didn't. So that's where and again, it takes time in the ancient world for this stuff to get worked out because they don't have internet, they don't have radio, <laughs> yeah. they don't have It's not like for us where we can just do it really quick, right? right this took right. some time time so universally acknowledged he lists them then mm-hmm. he says the majority accept these but some people dispute them yeah and then there's another category he gives us yeah and this is spurious yep. writings ones that were just coming out uh right here that were kind of up for debate he was saying among the books which are spurious uh should be reckoned to the acts of paul the so-called shepherd the apocalypse of peter and in addition to these so-called epistle a uh, barnabas and the so-called teachings of the apostles. And moreover, as I said, some reject it, while others count it among the acknowledged books. Some have also included it in the list, uh, sorry, in the list, the gospel, according to the Hebrews, in which special pleasure is taken by those of the Hebrews who have accepted Christ. Mm -hmm. So these spurious works were considered non-canonical, but at least orthodox. Yeah. So So, they're not, they're not, they're not teaching heresy. Right. Right. But but they're spurious. They're not scripture. Yes. That's exactly what he's saying. And so he's saying like, yeah, they contain the original idea, the original teachings uh, they're orthodox. They're that's orthodox, what he's saying. Yeah. But they're not canonical. They're not canonical because they're not apostolic. Exactly. And then he gives us a fourth category, uh, and he talks about books that claim to be apostolic, which are heresy. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, you've got yeah. books that everyone agrees on, books that most people agree are legit, but there's some disputes. Then books that are really good that don't make the list because mm. they're not apostolic, and then books that are trash. This is what he says about yeah, the books right. that are trash, all right? So he says, they are brought forward by heretics under the name of the apostles. They include gospels such as, as those of Peter, mm. Thomas, Matthias, and some others as well, or acts such as those of Andrew and John and other apostles. None of these has been deemed worthy of citation in the writings of any in the succession of the churchmen. So nobody quotes it. Yeah. Then he goes on and he says, Indeed, the stamp of their phraseology differs widely from the apostolic style, and the opinion and policy of their contents are as dissonant as possible from true orthodoxy, showing clearly that these are the figments of heretics. Therefore, they are not to be reckoned even among spurious books, but must be shunned as altogether wrong and impious. Mm. Notice what he mentioned there. 
the Gnostic gospel, the Gnostic gospel of Thomas, right? The Gnostic gospel of Peter, the Gnostic gospel of Matthias, the Acts of Andrew, the Acts of John. He's saying no. They're claiming that they're apostolic, but they're written way later. Right. And if you read them, they're <laughs> terrible and they're heretical, and they don't even sound like they're from the same era. And we should not even regard them as good for reading, but not scripture. They are impious heresy. Yeah. This is yeah. a big deal. So, again, the point I want to make here is that when we look in the early church fathers, there were basically three categories of, of books that they were dealing with. There was scripture that was canonical. Mm-hmm. And, again, some people disputed certain books, but that starts to work itself out. Oh, right, yeah. Universal acceptance happens. So there's canonical books. There's books that are uh, good and useful. Right, and that's what we we'd say. Where he he calls them spurious. Yeah, they're they're good and useful for Christian living and practice, but they're not scripture. And then there are her, heretical books. Right. So mm-hmm. canonical, good and useful, but not canonical. And then not good and useful, totally wrong heresy heretical. that's not canonical either. Yeah. Those are the three categories that we see a lot of the early church fathers talking about in their writings. Yeah, and well, what's interesting about that, uh, those categories you gave, Robbie, is some of those books that were uh, considered just good and useful books were actually considered in like, they would be included in like a codex yeah. or something of... Uh, along with canonical scripture. So uh, they were teaching it, though, as though it was good and useful to understand, but um, it wasn't considered canonical. Yeah, and so codexes were like a new technology early on, and we would just call them a book. It's You know, like uh, in the New Testament era, they were still writing on scrolls, right? So they'd they'd have parchment, which is uh, animal skin, and they'd sew it together, and they could make a long scroll, and they'd write on it and roll it up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, codexes are like, we just call them books, right? It's where there's leaflets, and you write on the front of this one, you can flip it and write on the back of this one. Yeah, right. It's a new technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we have codexes that have scripture in them, but also have other books in them, like the spurious books, yeah. the Christian living books. That doesn't mean just because they're in, they're bound in the same volume that the person, the Christians, thought they were scripture. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's just an easy way That's to right. bind stuff together. So what we have to look at, which is what we are looking at, are the lists of where they're categorizing. Yeah, we accept these as scripture. These ones are good, but they're not scripture. Just mm. because they're in the same book doesn't mean people believed they were yes, scripture. Yes. So John Mead makes a really big deal about that in um, the Myths and Mistakes books of canonicity, uh, a New Testament canonicity. Uh, or sorry, New Testament textual criticism, which we yeah, refer right. to. We'll put that link in the show notes. But he 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 makes a really good case that we have to look at the list to see what people believe. So that is a huge deal for us that um, there's these different categories shown in of the course, early church yes. fathers' writings. So uh, one of the codexes that we have, and we've talked about it previously mm-hmm. on the show, is Codex Sinaiticus. I actually had the privilege of seeing it in England yeah. last year. It was awesome. Um, but Codex Sinaiticus is a fourth century beautiful codex Mm. book and it has all 27 of the new testament books that we hold to be true in it yeah right so i mean already they're binding it and they're saying yeah here's here's what they are here's what we accept here's here's what we believe so that's pretty important for us that it's such an early codex that we that we have yes that's very important And so uh, now moving on a little bit into uh, not text-related evidences and stuff, but going into church councils. That's Mm -hmm. what we're going to be talking about 
here. And so there's some church councils that uh, the ones that contributed towards canonicity and we're yeah, going to discuss they, that. they talked about it not the council of nicaea like no. everyone thinks but there are church councils that discuss this that is correct yeah and so it's often stated that the canon of scripture was decided at church council however a more appropriate way of looking at this is that the church councils are where the canon was recognized not where it yeah. was formed like the canon was already there yep. it was just recognized okay well, and we, we know it was already there because we have all these church fathers making lists that's absolutely we have the miratorian right. fragment mm-hmm. we have uh so eusebius talking about the, the way it prior to, put to it, these councils i would say i would even take a step further to say like not just recognize but i would just say they they affirmed what canon already was yeah it, that's it, it was just doing. already there Everybody knew it, yep. and they're just, okay, just that way we're clear. Everybody's in agreement. This is canon, right? Which and would they, make it easier clear. to say you're a heretic. It would. <laughs> because yeah, you're adding this stuff. Yeah, It would. Yeah. And so one of those councils is the Council of Hippo, which that took place in 393 AD. After Eusebius wrote what we just read. Yes. So that's important. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is the statements from the Council of Hippo are repeated in Canon 47, from the Third Council of Carthage, which is in 397 AD. Yeah, so that's where we got this quote from. It's from the Council of Carthage, which was four years after the Council of Hippo. Yes. But they state they're quoting what they talked about. Yeah, yeah, they're making that clear. And so I'm going to read that quote here. It says, And further it was resolved that nothing should be read in the church under the name of the divine scriptures except the canonical writings. The canonical writings then are these. Of the New Testament, the four Gospels the one book of Acts of the Apostles, the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul, the one epistle to the Hebrews, by the same two of the Apostle Peter, three of John, one of James, one of Jude, John's Apocalypse, one book. Let it be permitted, however, that the passions of martyrs be read when their anniversaries are celebrated. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's that's the canon of the New Testament scripture. Yeah, those are the 27 books that we still have. And this yep. is, yeah, in 397. So mm-hmm. um, pretty, clarified. pretty clear. Yeah, pretty clear. Very straightforward. We have another list. This is from Pope Innocent, uh, his list. <coughs> he wrote this around 405 uh, to Experius, the Bishop mm-hmm. of Toulouse. <coughs> and this is what he says. Of the Gospels, four. Epistles of the Apostle Paul, 13. Epistles of John, three. Epistles of Peter, two. Epistle of Jude, Epistle of James. Acts of the Apostles, John's Apocalypse. But the rest of the books, which appear under the name of Matthias or of James the Less, or under the name Peter and John, which were written by a certain Lucius, or under the name of Andrew, (coughs) excuse me, Mm. or under the name of Andrew, which were written by the philosopher Zeno, Caritas, and Leonidas, or under the name of Thomas, and whatever others there may be, you should know <clears throat> are to be only rejected and also condemned. Yeah, mm. right. Excuse me, I got a tickle. In no, my that's all good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you could get some. So no, that's a big no. deal that he's saying these are terrible. Uh, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. And so we can see from these statements uh, that a somewhat universal idea of which books were canonical was emerging, right? Uh, there are many, many more lists which confirm the same thing about this. And I, I want to get into that a little bit, too, with the New Testament Apocrypha yeah. 
and Gnostics. We're going to get into that next here. Um, and so there are various writings, and we've talked about these before with uh, the Apocrypha on the show. Yeah, when we did our, our Roman Catholic Yeah, series, when we yeah. talked about Roman Catholicism. But that's, again, that's the Old Testament Apocrypha, right? Yes, that's correct. So, so, so now this we is New talk, Testament. What's the New Testament Apocrypha? Right? Yes, what are that's the what we're going to be focusing yeah. on. Uh, and then not just the New Testament Apocrypha, but also the, the Gnostic Gospels. That's what we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about. And so uh, various writings produced in the second century after the time of the Apostles uh, up to the Middle Ages. And these works were often written under the names of the Apostles and associates of the, the Apostles. Just like the Old Testament mm -hmm. Apocrypha was written uh, under fake names, right? Yeah, that's or right. Or even the Old Testament Pseudepigrapha, like, like the Book of Enoch. No one thinks it was written by Enoch. Yeah, no one does. And because he lived like way, way, way yeah, long right, ago. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, but, um, but they wrote as if they were, and that's the same thing that was happening with these. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, right. And so uh, Origen uh, from 185 to 253 said this of these books. <clears throat> he said, The church receives only four gospels. Heretics have many, such as the gospel of the Egyptians, the gospel of Thomas, and etc. Uh, these we read that we may not seem to be ignorant to those who think they know something extraordinary. If they are acquainted with those things which are recorded in these books. And, and now there are many, many of these books, yeah. right? Like, like there's tons of this. Like there's the gospel of the Hebrews, uh, the infancy gospel of Thomas, gospel of Peter, many acts, many apocalypse, like, like, the, there are a lot of books that mm -hmm. were written in this form, and uh, they were never regarded as scripture. That's something that's very clear that I want to bring up right off the bat. Yeah. Um, they were never considered scripture, and they did not conform to any of the cano canonical uh, criteria. Yeah, that's they weren't written really by apostles. Important. They weren't old. They weren't orthodox. They weren't universally accepted. Yeah, they weren't. <laughs> and they we see that from what these people are saying. So that that's a huge point because, you know, um, again, another book I'll bring up from 20 years ago. Uh, the Da Vinci yeah, right. Code, right? When that was written, the whole thing was, oh, the Council of Nicaea left out the Gospel of Thomas on purpose so they keep us in the dark. No. Christians knew about the Gospel of Thomas. They mention it by name a few different places. Yeah. It was just trash from the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, let's let's hide this. Let's keep this out. Let's not let people know the truth. No, it wasn't written by apostles. It wasn't anti It wasn't from antiquity, and it was not orthodox. Yeah. So... That, that we find old books that aren't from the Bible shouldn't be a surprise to us. Yeah, and people— We find a lot of old books. Truth be told, people who are saying that really—I'm going to say this, and this may offend you if you've said this before. You really don't know what you're talking about. It's if just, you say yeah. that, that that's like cor corrupt or that we pulled these out at the Council of Nicaea, whatever, it, there's no evidence. And like we keep saying, there's evidence and support against that mm -hmm. to where— like, like these, these were widely known as non-canonical. Well, an origin even says we read these books so that we're not ignorant for people who think they know something better than us. Yeah, we read them. We yeah, we're not yeah. afraid to know what's it's, in them, and, and that's how it should be. And honestly, yeah, like, like if you want, like I would encourage you go ahead and read these books. Oh, that the, way you can understand. The best argument against the Gospel of Thomas being legitimate is if you just read it. Yeah. It's it insane. Is. You, it is. You want to see you want to see people get hyped up about how how <laughs> women are treated in the Gospel of Thomas, and like, yeah. it's just it's terrible. You should go read it, and you'll go, yeah, this isn't uh, it's on the same junk. level. <laughs> yeah, with that well, compared to Scripture, that's what I'm saying. And so yeah. you can't. If someone makes those statements, you just have to know they just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, from the beginning, the church disregarded those books because they weren't. 
uh, apostolic. Right. They weren't from antiquity, and they weren't orthodox, and they were never accepted universally. And right. they, were, they yeah. were Gnostic, which isn't Christian. No, Gnostic, no. Gnosticism isn't Christianity. So <clears throat> they were rejected right off the bat. All right, another thing that's kind of cool to talk about are early Christian books, early Christian works of, of text that are good, but they're not scripture. These would be the good and useful, but not canonical, right? Right, yeah. So you should you should go read these. They're very interesting. So one of them's called the Didache. Very interesting read. Very early, uh, written probably in the first century. Yeah. Uh, during the time of the apostles, but it's not considered scripture. Um, the Epistle of Barnabas, very good. Um, first Clement. Uh, Clement's Epistle, uh, The Shepherd of Hermes, which we've talked about before. These are good books, and and they're old Christian writings. So you should go check them out because they're interesting. However, they're not Scripture. Um, Now, we want to end the show, and we want to make a point um, because I've even seen uh, recently some people making this argument about uh, the Bible and which books do you think are (laughs) canon versus other people, right? So some people make the argument that because Roman Catholics right now believe that the Apocrypha should be considered canonical mm-hmm. and that uh, the Ethiopian church believes actually in 81 canonical books, whereas Protestants only believe in 66, because there's there's disagreement yeah. among different Christian sects that uh, you can't know. Like, if you guys don't agree, then the whole thing's terrible and you have to throw it all out. Actually, that's not true. That's not true at all. And, and here's why. Yeah. Although the various Christian traditions are not in full agreement as to which books should be uh, canon, Mm -hmm. we are all in complete agreement that the 66 books of the Protestant Bible are canon. Yes, that that is the point. That's the point. So that's that's a huge deal. Our Bible, your Bible that you have, your Protestant Bible... All 66 books are unanimously agreed upon as being canon. By Catholics, by the Ethiopian church, mm-hmm. by the Coptic church, by everybody. Yes, so, yes. So when people try to say, oh, you can't really know what is true scripture because you all disagree. But they say, listen, maybe yeah. on the books we disagree on, but on the ones that we agree on. We agree on. We agree yeah, on. That's, that's, a, that's, yeah, a huge, yeah. that's a huge deal. It's a big point. And yep. so that's, that's, I think, like one of the... That's like the driving point of this whole episode that we want you guys to understand is that the the 66 books that you have in your Bible are authentic. They are real. They are a canon. Mm-hmm. And that is agreed upon by all spectrums of Christianity. Yep. And there was a vetting process. And yes. It was, were they written by apostles? Are they from the time of the apostles? Are they orthodox? And yes. are they universally accepted? Right. So, and now we talked about before <clears throat> variants and stuff like that in the sure. past few weeks. But but the actual core books that you have, those are considered as canon. Those are yep. scripture. You are holding God's word. Everybody believes it, like of the Christian community, yep. that that is canon. So yep. you should feel confident that what you have in your Bible is authentic. You should. And so uh, we really do hope that this series on New Testament reliability has helped you. Uh, we have covered a ton of ground. Is, do yes. We, do we have, did eyewitnesses write the New Testament? How can we know that they did? Is it even reliable textually? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about all the different variations within the Greek manuscripts? Uh, how did it get formulated as scripture? Who yeah, were the people yeah. that decided it was scripture and what was the process that it went through? Um, what verses shouldn't be in there because they aren't original, right? Yeah, so right. We've talked about a ton of stuff and, and if, if you missed any of the episodes on New Testament reliability, again, uh, 
I know from the ratings and I know just from my own life that this isn't the sexiest topic. And it's, <laughs> right, not, yeah. it's not like you, t- you you want to talk about racial reconciliation or uh-huh. do you want to talk about Scientology? Oh, man, people love to talk about roof, that kind yep. of stuff. But this is important. Yeah, yeah. And it might not be the sexiest topic, but you have got to get a handle on what you believe about God's word because there's so many people out there that are skeptical and there's so many people out there yes. that are throwing bombs about it. So mm-hmm. we need to be solid on why we believe that this book is special and why it's legitimate and why we can trust what it says. So yeah, please go so back, important. listen to the other episodes we've done on this series. Yeah, we really hope, again, as always, that this podcast has been an encouragement to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, please join us on our social media accounts. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and now Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and YouTube. Yep, everywhere. Yeah, all everywhere over the place. you want to be. Yeah, and so if well, you I are... I don't want to be on all oh, those right. places sometimes. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if you are watching this on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a, a comment or subscribe to our channel uh, for more updates. And for those of you who aren't on there already yet, go on YouTube, go on Instagram. And we haven't really talked about this uh, a whole lot recently, but make sure if you haven't already that you join our Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders group. Yeah, that's a cool group. And we, we probably need to start doing more with those people because yeah, they're yeah. a really good group of people it's that great. are on our Facebook And th- that's group the great and, thing. Yeah. See, like we we don't get involved in it uh, like sometimes we we forget to add something, but the people in the group are so awesome that they're coming out and making posts yeah, sharing and they're having conversations. Yeah, it's like really it, cool. it's great and you, you want to be a part of it. And so all you got to do, go on Facebook, find uh, Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders and uh, ask to join and make sure that you leave us a rating on iTunes or I guess it's uh, the podcasting app. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, yeah, Apple Podcasts. And if you don't have that, you can go ahead and leave us a rating on any sort of uh, listening platform that you're on. Just yeah, drop or our, on Facebook. Yeah, or on yeah. Facebook. Just drop us your username and just give us proof that you went and left us a rating and we'll let you in the group. Yep. So thank you again for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. We are so so glad that you stuck with us throughout this canonicity series and we can't wait to be back with you guys next week thanks for listening to christ culture and coffee if you liked this episode please rate review and subscribe to help us reach more people